welcome to the final edition of the Pinky.com Norwich City podcast of 2021. It's going to be one for the hardcore, for the diehards, for those who are maybe slightly sadistic, because this is going to be a bit of a moan-up, I think. Uh, five straight defeats, 14 goals conceded, none scored. There is no doubt about it that unless something dramatic changes with Norwich City in the weeks ahead, then they are going to be going back to the championship drawing board this summer. We are at the halfway stage of the Premier League season, marked by a 3-0 defeat at Crystal Palace, just 48 hours after a 5-0 home defeat to Arsenal. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell. We thought we'd... Uh, try and shake off yesterday a little bit before recording the pod rather than doing it after uh, at the end of a long day boys have you had any little christmas treats or anything just to to cheer you up do you get any nice toys for christmas pad <laughs> um not really mate no uh, i'll put it out there uh, it's gone back now but uh my wife bought me a i told you boys uh, a snood uh to help sitting in cold press boxes i told her i'll be the laughing stock if i put that on so uh a bit like footballers <laughs> You know, well, I know, yeah, it's probably not the most grateful reaction, but uh, <laughs> hopefully she's got the receipt so we we can sort that out. But uh, no, no, mainly, mainly my 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 little man. Uh, he's uh, he's an expert and rapper of presents now, but all he wants to do is play <laughs> with the boxes, not the actual presents. So um, yeah, that's what I've been doing pretty much uh, every day since Christmas morning. So um, yeah, he's managed to break the lights on the tree this morning. So it's not. It's not good. I think that hastens the removal of the tree back into the loft. So, uh, yeah. And uh, and the football hasn't cheered us up uh, one iota either. So, all in all, it's not been the best Christmas, has it? Let's be honest. No, it hasn't. Um, I, I watched, uh, I tweeted that I was about to watch the extended highlights on Amazon this morning. And I was just sat there thinking, why am I doing this? Just just don't do it to yourself. But no, come on, let's hold hold the football back a little bit longer. Connor, <laughs> give us give us some kind of Christmas cheer. Do you get anything decent? <laughs> Um, well, yeah, decent in terms of. To be fair, I needed I needed a lot of new socks. So uh, this this uh-huh. time is always a, a good time of year because you kind of um, you, your supplies increase. I, I tend to find, and uh, the way it works in in this house really is is my mum will do the washing, and then uh, me and my dad tend to end up kind of sharing socks. Almost at wash socks, obviously, um, but uh, they, right. they kind of like my my socks end up in his drawer and his socks end up in my drawer. So uh, it's been a bit of a muddle, but hopefully now it's um, it's I'm, I'm restocked and ready to go for the new year, which is the hope. Um, beyond that, uh, I, I'd share it with Pad. Really, I spent Christmas Day building a train set for uh, for my two year old. So that was that was um, not not fun. I got particularly frustrated and angry with that, um, and also uh, like a big. Pepper Pig wooden housing. So um yeah, more time building than than actually probably unwrapping presents. So uh not not necessarily enjoyable, but um yeah, I was hoping the football would, would cheer me up. As for the snood, I mean you 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 lads saw it yesterday. I've I've got a new coat which is a bit Arsene Wenger esque. It sort of comes up to the top of my knees. So um yeah, maybe maybe I'll be I'll be having words with uh with my girlfriend about that. But um yeah, it did keep me warm yesterday, so I suppose that's the bonus. You want to be careful with Peppa Pig stuff. You'll have the Prime Minister knocking on your door with his <laughs> countless children. But uh, I digress. You've given a, given me a perfect segue there, actually, Connor, because um, my sister got me a, a thoughtful little present. She she works um, or sort of uh, as a side project. She creates like sort of crafty bits and pieces and plants and and flowers and things. And she was at a Christmas fair at, at Yarmouth and bought me these socks from a, a charity which is Yarmouth based called Soccer Share. Uh, S-O-C-K-E-R that is 
Um, their website is soccershare.co.uk. And she's brought me, um, so it's a pair of socks and it's got the Mauritius flag on. And basically what their um, sort of project is, is that a lot of football boots get donated to uh, children in, in poorer countries, but they then don't have the adequate equipment they don't have the socks basically so they then wear these boots and all get blisters you know particularly in in hotter countries and things so they sort of found a little um niche for themselves where they can be really helpful to sort of follow on from from all that generosity so when you buy um one pair of socks you get just a normal pair of socks for yourself um which look i've got them here in in front of me i'll probably put this on social media at some point um and then um the, the other pair go off to um to a a uh, uh, young kid who who needs them. So, um, yeah, I just thought I'd give that a nice mention as a local charity. So, uh, yeah, Soccer Share, you can find them on um, on social media and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, let's get on to the game. We can't push it back any further. Um, Pad, it's, it, it's just grim, isn't it, at the moment? Ten players missing, bad defeats. They just are, they're listing at the moment. They're heading, as we sit here today, it is very difficult to just say, to, to argue that they're not heading back to the championship. I don't. I don't think there's any other conclusion you can draw right, right here, right now. Halfway as we are at the halfway point, it's rancid. It really is not a pleasurable experience. Whether it's us in our privileged position, but far more importantly, those supporters and and particularly those ones who, again, turned out in force at Sellers Park on uh, Tuesday, um, getting absolutely nothing back in return from that group of players or the coaching staff. Five games, five defeats, not a goal in sight, um, ridiculous concessions at the other end of the pitch. We all know the mitigation, but Norwich aren't alone in that. You know, Palace yesterday had essentially their best attacking players out and uh, Odson Edward and, um, you know, Mateta, they they look like uh, Thierry Henry in his prime, or at least they were made to look <laughs> like that uh, by Norwich's... Will Hughes was Zidane. Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, embarrassing really and uh, and Norwich's fans at least a section of the away support vented their frustration when the third goal went in just before half time and again you know at the final whistle uh, and it's sad sad's the only way to describe it really that 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 club find themselves in that state now where there's a, a growing disconnect slash chasm with their supporters um, a group of players who look like they're feeling sorry for themselves and seemingly no remedy in the January window in terms of the finances available. So whether they can get their more experienced and and better players back soon and things can turn. But the problem is the horse will already have bolted by then, it looks like. You know, I mean, a minus 34 goal difference as it stands, 10 points after 19 games. Even even if 35 kept you up this season, do you see over the second part of the season Norwich going from a 10-point haul to a... A 25-point haul? No, I don't see that. So, uh, irrespective of who's available and who's fit. Um, and that's where we are. So, you know, as a result, it's pretty toxic now. Social media is a toxic place. Uh, if you consume Norwich City content and um, and everybody's getting it now, Stuart Webber, the recruitment, uh, those players, individuals and collectively. And, um, and Dean Smith is probably immune to a degree, but you know if he continues on this path and he's uh, you know unable to put a point on the board, let alone a win, put a goal on the board, we'd settle for at this stage. Then you know ultimately he will start getting criticised. I've seen that stat; I'm sure people have already seen it. That he's now the first manager in Premier League history to with two separate clubs in the same season post five consecutive defeats. Did that with Villa and ultimately paid for his job 
uh, Aston Villa with a five-game losing run. That's not going to happen here, but uh, very, very hard to, to throw any light and positivity on it other than, uh, you know, with each passing week, that's one less game we have to sit through and misery to endure. And uh, hopefully then, if this ends back come the summer in the, in the Football League, that uh, the damage isn't so great that they can steady the ship and go again because increasingly that look, looks like what it's going to be. Yeah, there's lots of nasty um, facts and figures out there. There was one tweeted by Match of the Day, wasn't there, that uh, I've got it here. Norwich has scored just eight goals in their first 19 Premier League games. That's the joint lowest tally in top flight history, level with Leicester in 1977-78. That is pretty grim. And there's, there's lots uh, of similar facts, I'm afraid, you can throw out it, isn't there, Connor? I mean, I think I'm right in saying that the club record for consecutive games without scoring is is six, so they could equal that um, at Leicester on Saturday, and, and we'll come back round to the Leicester game, but sat here, it's difficult to sort of be filled with too much hope. But to follow on from what Pad said there, really, about Dean Smith, we, we're all pretty expecting that, that he's not going to come under pressure, really, this season, because this isn't of his own making, and I think the vast majority of people will unless things really do get very, very bad, would be happy to have him in charge in the Championship next year, if that's where it, it, it ends up. Um, but what did you make of his demeanour yesterday? It, he, it must be difficult for a guy who, uh, you know, had basically two weeks between jobs. As Pad said, he'd had five successive defeats, and now he's got another five successive defeats. He was looking pretty despondent, as despondent as the players were. And as, uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of gallows humour in the away end yesterday as well, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Uh, and I kind of get that because if you're an Orange fan at the moment, it's kind of if, if, if you can't laugh, then uh, what, what can you do about the, the mm. situation? You, you just end up crying, I think, because it's, um, I mean, Pad used all, all the words I was I was going to use, really grim, sad, abject, um, turgid. It's it, it's all of those things, really. Um, and as for, as for Dean Smith, I think his comments in recent weeks have been really interesting, um, particularly the last couple of games where he's alluded to the fact that Norwich City probably had a chance when they had a fully fit squad. I think I, I would maybe um, counteract and say that you know they've they've what not scored in in thirteen of their nineteen games this season. Only three of those have been without their their sort of key players available. So I'm not quite sure if I buy that argument personally. Um, but he, he does look increasingly. We've gone from him looking increasingly upbeat and he, what he described as cautiously optimistic to as, as you say a lot more despondent, a lot more. Um, probably the, the sobering reality of the situation is is probably hitting him a lot more now, I would say. Um, and the reality is he's got a squad in front of him, albeit big, and it's gone from uh, them having 11 v 11 sessions where he was having to leave players out to now them really struggling to produce a, a team that is capable of competing at Premier League level. Um, so in that regard, it is difficult. And, and look, when Stuart Webber, Neil Adams, all the people that matter made the, the decision to to remove Daniel Farker from his position, that was done so on the basis that the squad available at Norwich City was good enough to stay in the Premier League, was good enough to compete, um, and that actually it just needed a new voice, a bit of redirection maybe. And in the opening five games of his reign, that looked um, to be an assumption that was right because they did improve and they they did look an improved side and they did look capable of going toe-to-toe with Premier League teams, even if that didn't necessarily mean winning matches. And now it's just kind of reverted to type and... It feels like irrespective of, of who is in the dugout, be it Daniel Farker, be it Dean Smith, 
Um, could even be Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, I think, and they'd struggle to get a tune out of this No City team at the moment. And the problem I have with kind of the mitigation is what, well, a what Paddy said really, which is that every Premier League team is experiencing it at the moment. Um, but secondly, eight of those players who played at Palace yesterday were signed after their relegation two years ago. So that is an indication that that group, those eight players that were signed were done so with the case that if, if Norwich City did return to the Premier League, they would be better equipped to ensure that they were at least more competitive. Maybe not saying the division, but at least more competitive. And I think that's that's where fans are frustrated at the moment because they're seeing a team that simply isn't competing and uh, all of the kind of promises of improvement just sound like and seem like hollow words a little bit at the moment because the reality is a lot different on the pitch. And I'm sure Dean Smith, if you caught him in a quiet moment, uh, and Craig Shakespeare as well would probably admit that maybe they didn't really realize or or, or grasp um, the scale of the challenge that is keeping this Norwich City team in the Premier League. Because um, I mean, we we sit here that it's remarkable, really. There are still only three points behind Watford in seventeenth, but that feels like the footballing equivalent of kind of scaling Mount Everest with toothpicks. So it just it just yeah, it's um, it's a really dour situation, joyless situation to be in, really, and. I think whether you're Dean Smith, whether you're a player in the squad, or whether you're a supporter, Delia and Michael, Stuart Webber, us having to to watch and report on it every week, it's just not an enjoyable position to be in. It's not, but we know that there is uh, plenty of context to it. So I, I don't think I'm missing anyone here. So 10 unavailable. And obviously, as a promoted team, to have 10 players out is is always going to be difficult, let alone the fact that this this includes your best players, basically. So Hanley, Omabamadeli, Zimba, uh, Zimmerman, Krull, Norman, Aarons, Rashitza, Campwell, Pukki, Rupp. I mean, there's a few players there who would be in the strongest starting eleven of most Norwich fans. I think you know Pukki, Aarons, Rashitza, Norman, Krull, Hanley at least. So that's six. I think I've just named there would probably be in most people's start starting eleven if they could. The six changes that they they made. Um, Byram, Ida, Lise Malou, um, Yanulis, Sorensen and Jollis came in for Aaron's Sergeant, Pukki, Dow, Williams and Kabak. So immediately you're playing two games in four days. You've made six changes to your team. You've got 10 players missing. Let, let's be frank, Pad, when we were when we arrived at Selhurst Park, eventually, a bit later than we would have liked, thanks to a, a few problems, and we, I was having to use my car to drive down to, to London un, unexpectedly because we couldn't get into Arch and HQ. When we arrived there, we had absolutely no expectation of them winning that game. And then, lo and behold, they're 3-0 down at halftime. Well, which is a pertinent point because... We didn't really. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of Norwich fans probably didn't really. But more worryingly, did the players who were available think that as well? Because the manner of the, the two goals in four minutes, which essentially decided this game, so poor from a Norwich perspective. And if there's no belief amongst the people who can actually go across the white line and, and change the trajectory of this season, then... Is there any wonder it's almost a sleepwalking back to the championship feel to it all? Um, point taken, you know, about the list of players you've you've reeled off there, DF. But you know, Pookie, Aaron's, they've been available for for recent games, and the performance levels were still as so far off what was required to get performances. I I don't really, I'm not really buying um, the mitigation now. 
I'm quite fed up with it, to be brutally honest. The ones who were on that pitch, let's put it straight, they should collectively be able to produce a better performance than what we saw against Crystal Palace. The manner they compliantly rolled over for those second and third goals, particularly. Kenny McLean, great, holds his hands up, bit bit tired of that. Norwich players are holding their hands up when they've made a rick and conceded a penalty or, or something that's contributed pretty dramatically to, to a goal concession. Um, too many errors. Dean Smith came out after the Boxing Day game against Arsenal. Too many errors, littered with errors. Um, and we don't need to go through them again. And then 48 hours later, six minutes, seven minutes in, when Norwich had actually started, I thought, on the front foot and, and with a bit of positivity, Kenny McLean goes and does that. They concede a penalty, penalty slotted, they're 1-0 down. I mean, it's just ridiculous, really, um, why they continue to keep making the same types of errors individually, collectively. And then, you know, the abdication of responsibility for the two goals that followed there. Um, and as I say, you know, Immediately after the third goal went in, uh, a very audible chant. We were on the opposite side of the stadium, so it was it, it was a, there was a, a group that were loud enough for, for us to, to pick it up very clearly from the opposite side of the ground. You're not fit to wear that shirt. That that is ultimately where a lot of Norwich fans are now, and um, that isn't down to having players unavailable for one or two games or four or five games as it, as it's getting to the point now. That is for me the entirety of this miserable campaign that that from minute one, really, admittedly, they played com- compared to some of the stuff we're seeing now. They, they were actually half decent against a very, very good Liverpool side on the opening day, but but then fell away in the second half. And, and then thereafter, we've seen this too often. We've seen this kind of white flag mentality, uh, players rolling over whoever's on the pitch. It's the same. It's the same malaise. It's the same... Are we good enough to be on this pitch sharing it with these type of players? And and if if it's Man City and Liverpool, you can almost accept it. You shouldn't be accepting it when it's Crystal Palace without Gallagher, their best player this season, the Chelsea lad on loan in midfield, without Zaha, without Eze, Elise, um, one or two others as well that I can mention, without their head coach, for God's sake. Patrick Vieira wasn't in the dugout. That should have seriously weakened what they were trying to do. Um, not a bit of it, you know. And they'd only won one game in seven going into that match. And yet they're 3-0 to the good before half-time. It's not acceptable. It, on any level, it's not acceptable. Um, you know, and, and I don't think it's even that they're not trying. But it, when they do face a bit of adversity, they crumple far too easily. And that comes down to the mentality of this group of players. Do they honestly believe? As Dean Smith said, after the first three games where they picked up five points, he was starting to see a belief that these players now felt they belonged in the Premier League. Well, you know, sadly, that looks like a full storm because now what we're seeing, whoever takes the field in Norwich Colours, is a group who really are suggesting they don't think they're good enough for this level and they're playing like that. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that very rarely happens in football when players aren't trying and the down tools and things like that. I feel like they're easy cliches that fans go to because those players are trying they they were putting in the effort yesterday, but they're conflicted. They're not at their one hundred percent physically or mentally, are they? They haven't got the confidence to to rely upon. But the the biggest contrast for me that was so obvious, and it's not the first time we've said this over the years when Norwich play Palace, was the physicality. Look at Kuyate towering above McLean and, and Gilmore in midfield, Eduard and Matata up front, both physical units. Joel Ward even at right back. You don't get past him easily. They are they're strong, they're quick, 
and they seem to have those Premier League attributes. I mean, Palace are, as we we don't need to almost say it every single time, Palace obviously have a lot more money than Norwich. They have far wealthier owners. They have spent a lot more money. They pay a lot higher wages. I'm almost certain without knowing that for a fact. But they just, even when Milivojevic came off the bench and then he just sort of eased Gilmore off the ball again. We'll come back to Gilmore. But the, the difference in physicality is so stark. And it was something that was spoken about a lot. And I'll come back to you on that in just a second, Connor. I did want to just read out a, a short bit from a report in The Guardian by Barney Rone, who's a very talented writer. But he's always very scathing in his criticism. I thought this was good. Um, he said, Norwich, for their part, looked bright, neat and almost totally ineffectual. Somehow the table continues to suggest Dean Smith's team are just three points from safety, but they look like a zombified presence bereft of heart and edge. That, Mr Southwell, is damning, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I think it's almost um, more telling of the Premier League that Norwich City are three points adrift at this stage because they're that bad, honestly. They, they should be far more cut adrift than, than they are and they play like a team that's far more cut adrift than they are. Um, and I wouldn't disagree with, with any element of, of what you spoke about there and nor about the physicality element, which is, I mean, this is a conversation we were having two years ago after relegation. Yeah. We we're talking about them needing more physical players. Tom Tribal um, was was one that we mentioned in particular who didn't stand up to that particular test. And I've mentioned it before. There was a game against um, Burnley, I think it was maybe West Ham in Project Restart, where we had those drinks breaks, didn't we? And the players used to come to the side of the pitch, and you compare their respective sizes, and it was it was like the land of the giants compared to to what Norwich City had on on their side. Um, and we're here, and we're here again, speaking about it two years later. That suggests to me that. Lessons haven't been learned. And if that lesson hasn't been learned, and that was one of the more obvious ones from two years ago, um, then it's very difficult to see how any others could have been. Because I think you'd have only need to watch that Norwich team, um, well, probably a very full, small sample of it two years ago, to to know that it wasn't physical enough. It didn't have the attributes. It didn't look like a Premier League team. And we're here two years later talking about the, the same thing, them getting out-muscled. There was a, a picture that someone posted on social media of Billy Gilmore and Shemi Poheta defending a, a set piece. And they're almost pushing into these Palace players' chests with their arms and still kind of really looking like that's a major effort. Um, the balance is all wrong and, uh, and and they've got it wrong again. And, and this is ultimately where it comes back to recruitment and, and those who are, who are in charge of it. Because it's an, look, football recruitment is incredibly difficult. It is the most difficult thing to get right in the yeah. game because you can look at all the data, you can look at uh, you can watch a player 15 times and still not know how he's going to perform when he, when he rocks up at your club. So I certainly... Um, tip my hat off to anyone who does football recruitment to, to a level where they get real success with it um, because it, it's so tough and the majority of transfers don't work. Um, but the fact they haven't addressed that void and, you know, it, it looked like in some of their targets this summer that that was the case. Chris Iyer, someone they pursued um, with real interest, who who is really physical. Phil, Phil Billing, uh, the same, I, I would say. Um, and for whatever reason, they didn't happen, but the alternatives just don't seem to, to stand up to it. I mean, Pierre Lace Malou is is tall, but he's not physical. He's nowhere near what they need um, in, in terms of Premier League competition. Um, there's so many more we could we could list. It, it's just um, it, it's a real shame more than anything because you know it, it, we we had obviously that that quote from Stuart Weber in the summer about um, what, what was it bazooka tanks and, and a few grenades. It doesn't it doesn't look like that in reality, and uh, and it feels like that quote is is going to follow him around now for for a little while um, because the evidence of two seasons. So, or one and a half season suggests that 
in terms of his recruitment in the Premier League, it's not been up to scratch. And that ultimately is is probably where Norwich fans' criticism comes from because the championship seasons have been great. Uh, the recruitment on the whole has been great, albeit there's been a lot of mistakes. But as I said, that's football recruitment in in a nutshell, really. But to have two summer windows where... They, I mean, this summer they, they spent a, a hell of a lot of money um, and to not see the return that maybe they needed and to not have the profile of player that they needed either is um, is pretty inexcusable, to be honest. Yeah, a hell of a lot of Nor- uh, money for Norwich City. But um, as we said after yes, the Arsenal yes. game, Ben White cost 50 million. So <laughs> spending 60 million on, well, well 11 players, uh, basically, Um there isn't much in Premier League terms. And while you were talking there, I mean, I was thinking the same, that the, the players that we that they were chasing, Philip Billing, Chris Ayer, Tosin Adarabayo at Fulham, all big lads, weren't they? So that it's almost like they, they did know what they needed, but they couldn't get it. They couldn't match the wages. They couldn't pay the fees that they quite wanted to. Ayer was doing well for Brentford, wasn't he, before he got his injury? Adarabayo and, um, and Billing both doing well in the Championship, aren't they? And, and pushing for promotion. So... Yeah, well, whether we'll ever hear it as frankly as that, whether Stuart Webber will ever just say, look, that's who I wanted, but I couldn't offer the other three million that I needed to get him across the line. We'll probably never hear it said as, as succinctly as that, but that is definitely where the attention is turning to now, isn't it? It's And I, and I guess you can focus on Stuart Webber, you can focus on the recruitment team, but ultimately they are constricted by the model that they are working within. I, I don't think anybody's really saying that there was extra money there unless you maybe sold air at the same situation they're now in, unless you can sell errands for a good money or Campwell or whatever, there wasn't a great deal more that they could do financially. It's just like, you have to be smarter with it. Don't they? They always said they were going to have to be creative and that they were going to have to take risks. And that's, that's what we're seeing. Those, those gambles are not paying off, but I'm also looking at that list of players I read out earlier who are, who are unavailable and as we sit here at the moment, this isn't going to be the case at Leicester on Saturday. Maybe it'll be closer to the case when Everton arrive at Carrow Road in just under three weeks. But those absentees, who has got that physicality? Hanley, yeah, probably fair enough. Omabama Deli, he's a big lad. Um, Zimmerman is obviously tall, but hasn't really been in contention anyway, has he? Krull is, is a good size for a keeper. But otherwise, there's not a lot of muscle and size in those players who are missing in Pukki, Aarons, Rashitza, Cantwell, even Norman. That was the big thing, wasn't it? When he arrived, everyone's like, oh, well, it's great that he's got a six-pack and stuff, but he's not really Wilfred Ndidi or something, is he? He's not Nemanja Matic. He's not a big mountain of a man that is going to dominate a Premier League um, midfield. So that's going to be the difficulty of it. Let's bring that round to Billy Gilmore then, Pad, because the chant came out of the away end, didn't it? In um, sort of no uncertain terms that you can go back to Chelsea from some people. And I think we should probably caution as well that it looked like a lot of the travelling fans yesterday had had a few beers. You know, it's Christmas time. They knew that their team were probably going to get spanked. So they just had a good day. And I think maybe that contributed to a bit of the animosity that was coming out and a bit of the vitriol that was coming out. You know, they were literally waving away the players at the end after full time and stuff, weren't they? But Gilmore, it's just not happening, isn't it? And and that that sort of sums up everything that we've just been talking about in terms of recruitment. Well, at the minute, he is the poster boy for it, yeah. Um, although, you know, there is another strand, which is, you know, people are looking at the, the Zolis and the Sargent deals, and it's the thick end of 20 million there. Two players who look nowhere near ready right here, right now for the Premier League. 
why 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 were those those deals put together? You know, I, I think recruitment per se, it's a very broad brush, and I, and I don't think um, because the, the Norman and Rashita deals look good deals if those players were fit, and of course, you know, injuries are part and parcel. So I think it needs to be more nuanced when and inevitably when rather than if this and it's already started now. It pretty much for me started to unleash after the Arsenal game the recruitment element and Stuart Webber's impact or lack of impact. Um, and that's only going to continue now. If these results and performances stay as they are, then the focus will very, very clearly shift to the fact that, you know, as Connor rightly pointed out, the recruitment really ultimately looks like no better than the previous summer going into the Premier League. But I think we have to be a bit more nuanced. But Gilmore, I mean, ultimately, you know, Daniel Farker didn't fancy him. That's that's very clear. You know, look at the lack of activity from probably the Leicester game uh, earlier in the season when he was at fault, uh, really, for, for the winner, you know, in terms of he didn't step across Ian Acho, I think it was, uh, from memory. But and that isn't an isolated incident. You know, the, the last game, was it the Manchester United game? No, it was, um, yeah, the Villa game, sorry, the second clinching goal against Villa, Billy Gilmore responsible for that again. I would look at the third Palace goal. He's allowed Odson Edward basically just to brush him off and burst into the box. And yes, there's a fortunate ricochet to Schlupp who does the rest, but Billy Gilmore plainly is not the player you need in this side. And and that's, I think, definitive now. And yes, I'd, I'd reiterate, I think any personal insults Wider the mark. I mean, why are you singling out that guy's you know, every single player for me in that Norwich squad this season doesn't really emerge with with any credit at all. I don't think you know. Maybe you could excuse the younger players at Omabama Daily, but then you know, Gilmore is what a year older than Omabama Daily. The problem is he came with this rather rather inflated reputation for what he'd done, maybe for Scotland in one game against England at Wembley in the Euros. And the fact that he is part of a Chelsea squad who just lifted the Champions League. But worth reiterating, a very marginal part of that Chelsea squad. He wasn't playing regularly last season. That's why he ended up at Norwich looking for a season-long loan where he would play a season-long Premier League stint because he needed that at that stage of his career. He's still very, very, very raw, inexperienced. And yet he's been dropped into this scenario and it was almost this is the missing piece of the jigsaw. This is the guy who will transform what we're trying to do in terms of controlling the ball, setting the tempo. But, you know, ultimately, he's a 20-year-old kid, essentially. It, too much expectation on his shoulders and he hasn't stepped up to the mark, ultimately. If you go across all his performances, he's been nowhere near it. But he's playing with inferior players in a team who are on the back foot most of the time. Completely alien environment to what, what he was enjoying at Chelsea, albeit in a smaller bit part role because he was behind Kante. He was behind Jorginho, Kovacic, you know, top, top world-class midfielders ahead of him. Um, so any personal, you know, insults uh, I, I don't get at all. But if you want to examine Billy Gilmore's impact on this Norwich side, then and criticise that, I think that's fair comment because he's not doing what we all hoped he would do. And we saw it again, even at Palace, you know, I've seen one or two tweets about you know his stats and you know he was he was by far Norwich's best player on these stats. But where's the context? Because you know 
Palace in the second half were very content to sit back, yeah, let definitely. Norwich have the ball, give them the space. They didn't press them. They didn't get in their faces. Completely different scenario in the first half when, again, you know, he's dallying too long on the ball, as was Lee Smalou on occasion, as was McLean. Um, and we've seen that too often from Billy Gilmore that, you know, when he's facing players who are aggressive and in his face, he's not able to counteract it. And and, it, and he, he pinged one superb ball second half on the diagonal, very, very long ball, perfectly into the path of, I'm going to say Ida, might have been Poeta, but down the right-hand side. And you, you see, you stand back and you think, that lad has quality on the ball, but it's glimpses. It's not the influence that we all hoped he would be able to exert. And it's not just down to him. But ultimately, it looks at this stage alone that hasn't really worked for either party. And, you know, January is around the corner, as we understand it. There's no moves on Norwich's part to to cut short the loan. But Dean Smith has a conundrum now because he's not really offering too much uh, as it stands. And, and do you persist with him and try and get the balance right around him in that midfield area? Hitherto, they've been unable to do it. Or do you say, you know, enough's enough and he comes out the side? Um which, as I say, is not why he was brought here in the first place. But, you know, ultimately, Billy Gilmore isn't the reason why Norwich are where they are in the table and where it looks like they're heading. But he was brought in to do a job. He's not doing the job. So, um, you know, that's where we are with it. But by no manner of means is he alone or an isolated case. It's just sadly at this moment in time, as it was a week or two back or a few weeks back, Josh Sargent was getting it in the neck. Billy Gilmore's turn, and it'll be it'll move on to somebody else. I'm sure down the line. I'm sure uh, you know Cabac keeps making the ricks he's making. He'll get it at some point. It's just the nature of you know following your football team. There's always going to be a scapegoat or two, isn't there? Yeah, particularly when there's so much pain around in such a difficult run. I mean, I think Gilmore still most of us probably think he'll go on and have a good career because you know if he was playing at Rangers at the moment and he did have that bit of space and he was in a team that were dominating then he'd, he'd have that time to pick the pass and he'd look like a Rolls Royce. If he was at the top of the championship at the moment I think he'd probably be looking good but for a Premier League relegation battle it, it just doesn't feel like it's working out but from him, his personal point of view and Chelsea's point of view it's probably not going to do him any harm. It's going to toughen him up and that is probably exactly the thing that they were looking for. Um, I'm going to come on to finishing with some positives Connor because there are the small, very small positives, but we've at least got some something slightly enjoyable to, to talk about. Um, but we are approaching the tipping point now where Smith will have been in charge as, of as many games as Farker. So Farker, it was 11 games, uh, one win, two draws, eight defeats. Um, he was averaging 0.45 points a game. Smith is still a little bit higher than that at the moment, 0.62. But if it's a defeat at Leicester, then not there. things are going to be getting pretty close to, to level. Smith has had eight games in charge so far. Also won, won, drawn two, lost five so far. Um, and the, the goals scored and against averages aren't too dissimilar either. They they scored fewer under Smith. They're averaging just under four goals a game, whereas they were just over four a game under Farker. And in terms of conceding, at the moment, they're, they average exactly two goals per game under Smith. And it was 2.3 goals per game under Farker. So that tells its own story, doesn't it? That we're coming back down to the players. But when Daniel was here, there weren't that many fitness issues. It was only really Zimmerman. There was a, a few little bit, bits and pieces, but he didn't have this absentee list. So I think 
Dean Smith deserves a bit of patience. And as I said a bit earlier, I think it's that Everton game now. I, I, whatever happens at Leicester happens on Saturday. If they can, they've just got to show a bit of United spirit. But that's exactly what we said against Arsenal and Palace, and it hasn't materialised. So for me, I'm I'm almost not worried about what happens on Saturday because I can't see them getting anything out of it. But Everton at home, back at Carrow Road, if that absentee list hasn't cleared up and we don't see something closer to the real Dean Smith Norwich City, then there are going to be some serious alarm bells ringing because we are now past the halfway point and it could be a really, really grim second half of the season. But we did see a debut for an under-23 prospect in John Rowe in the second half. Uh, Poeta did force one very good save from Guaita and Sam Byram did hit the crossbar. So they're, they're very small, as I said, Connor, but... We at least more than the Arsenal game. There was, there was, and and bearing in mind what Paddy said, which was exactly right, that Palace just contained them second half and felt more than comfortable that Norwich weren't going to trouble them. There were at least a few things to enjoy in there. <laughs> shows uh, shows where they are at the minute, doesn't it? <laughs> Looking at yeah. those maybe as, as issues. Those draws. Exactly, exactly. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, they have more chances, but. I mean, they're just so devoid of any sort of attacking structure or quality that they, they really look like they don't really know what to do when they they pass the, the halfway line and they're in possession. I think the natural instinct is to turn back and try and build from the back, at which point the team's in shape. So um, I think if I was Dean Smith at the moment, I'd just be urging them to press really high because, um, I mean, they're conceding goals anyway. So don't worry about the threat in behind. Just try and go and win the ball higher up the pitch. And then if they do win the ball there, they're closer to goal. And theoretically, they should be able to force a few more chances without having to be too creative. So, uh, look, whether the, whether those, as we were discussing when we came out of Selhurst Park last night, whether those players are good enough to do that. And uh, I don't think they are currently is another matter altogether. But uh, I think at least if you run and you press and, you maybe show a little bit more of that spirit, then um, I think people are going to be on your side. Um, yeah, good good to to see John John Rowe involved. I suppose the only caveat, as, as Smith said last night, is that now he's going to be part of that squad that will sort of look at the 13 players, one goalkeeper um, sort of threshold for keeping games off or getting them postponed. So um, not sure if that's positive or negative from a North City stance really at the moment. But uh, yeah, really good for him. Obviously, he's a London boy as well. So I'm sure it would have meant a lot to him. Obviously, the circumstances weren't great, um, as tends to be the case really when play. I mean, how many players made their debut in Project Restart? Josh Martin comes yeah. to mind. Um, as one who who benefited from that, Ida uh, didn't make his debut then, but um, got got more minutes and looks pretty pretty bright as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's always a little bright spark, I think, to take. Um, John Rowe is definitely it. I, I would imagine now there are probably going to be calls from some fans uh, about starting him, and I've already seen it already. I think when a team loses games, it's natural people go, oh, just just give the young players a go, but actually in the long run that can prove more detrimental to them and their development uh, if they're in a side that is getting absolutely pummeled and, and losing every week it's not the best situation to be in in terms of development so in many ways it's um it's probably a difficult situation that smith finds himself in with not just row but also some of the 23s which is do you drip feed them in and, and give them some exposure to football at the high level in preparation for maybe what next season looks like um without maybe exposing them too much to the damage of what's going on in the first team, because it could be quite significant for their development. I mean, Rose only 18, he only turned 18 in April. So um, still so young and still such an early age in, in his career. So um, I think there needs to be an element of protection, an element of patience as well. Um, but yeah, more good news again, that the academy is, is bearing fruit and we're seeing young talent, but 
ultimately at the moment that's that's not going to be much comfort to fans uh, I don't think who ultimately want to see a team on the pitch that's competitive and whether that's made up of young players or not um I think is uh, is is probably irrelevant to to an extent but uh but yeah positive for him uh, and hopefully I, I mean we saw one really nice burst didn't we into the box where he then went up to to set up Lisa Malou which is probably more than than Christoph Solis managed to create when he was on the pitch so um there's that element as well. Maybe that confidence from the 23s can be transferred to the first team. But yeah, I think to be at a stage where we're kind of looking at that as, as a positive maybe shows where, where Norwich City are at the moment, unfortunately. It does. And eight, eight subs on the bench, one of them being John McCracken, the under-23 keeper, alongside Michael McGovern. So he travels um, basically as part of the warm-ups, doesn't he? And, and part of his experience. I can only assume that Tonkinson, Dixon, Peters, Kamara didn't travel just because they tried to keep the group as small as possible because of COVID reasons. And also because of what you said there is that they don't want to add them to that list of what are then considered as first team players. Because if you then, um, you know, can't get the Leicester game called off if you need to, because they say, well, no, you've got this lad, Tom Dixon, Peters and, and Jonathan Tonkinson, they played in the Premier League. They, they count tough luck. So it is an awkward balance at the moment, but that's probably where we should finish really pad in terms of, um, what Dean had to say about who might be available for that Leicester game. Actually, we, we were listening to Leicester's win over Liverpool on the way back, weren't we? And Madison did go off, uh, it did limp off. So uh, you never know, there might be a little bit of luck there because he's been in fantastic form. But as things stand, I, th- I think it's only really Rashid, so that it looks like he might come back into things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we'll find that. It definitely pays not to make any hard or fast hmm. statements on Norwich's squad depth at any given time because, you know, from post-match Arsenal, uh, when we had a touch point with Dean Smith and he didn't, uh, you know, allude to any any additional issues on top of the already, the, the, the sort of absentees. And then, of course, team sheet drops at Palace and no Max, no T- Todd, no Timu. And they all pulled out through injury slash illness uh, the day before. So, you know, as we sit here on, on Wednesday afternoon, um, a lot can happen between now and sort of Friday morning when we'll speak to Dean again. But he didn't sound optimistic that um, he'd be getting any of really those back. And, and Rashid's is probably the only one who would have an outside chance. But, you know, given, you know, he's been out for quite a while now, can you sort of run the risk really with a groin injury as well, a muscular type injury to just sort of let him go again? And then from the start of Leicester, and he's not quite right. Has not enough training time. And, you know, you end up with a situation where he's out again for a length of time so very very difficult for Dean Smith now as he said you know he's talked again post-match in the lunacy of Norwich being one of eight clubs who were expected to go 48 hours after Boxing Day and yet there's other Premier League clubs Newcastle again their game on Thursday night I believe is called off against Everton um, Burnley I think have got three or four games in hand on Norwich now it just looks like the integrity of the competition is um, completely gone out the window and um, that can't be right. And the, the demands on some clubs and some players, as opposed to other clubs and other players, uh, really doesn't cast the Premier League in a very great light. So, um, sadly, that's where we are. And, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, at this stage, given the way it's panned out in the last three or four games, I wouldn't really factor in any of the ones who were unavailable for the last two games being back for, for Leicester. And and the fear is that there might be others now who maybe were at Crystal Palace who won't be at Leicester. Uh, Demi Yanoulis went off with a foot injury at half-time, couldn't continue. Very quick turnaround. Is he going to be in the mix for, for Leicester? You'd say it's By- in the balance. Byram also had uh, some ice on his 
uh, ankle after the game, but he did say in his post-match interview that he um, uh, he thought he'd be all right. He also said, as you'll be able to find on on Pink and Plus, um, that he uh, that retirement was was a very real threat for him during his long injury absence. So at the very least, it's good to see that man back and 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 sort of a, a first building block really for him in that ninety minutes. There was some good, some bad, um, but we did see signs of the player that Sam Byron can be if he can return to the mix for Norwich. But what an awful time to be coming back into things for the poor guy. Um, it is they, These are strange times, but we will head to the King Power Stadium on Saturday for that game against a Leicester team who have just lost 6-3 to Manchester City and beaten Liverpool 1-0. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen, to be honest. They are, they maybe are not the top three. They're not Liverpool, Man City or Chelsea. But as we saw with Arsenal on Boxing Day, there are some teams just below that who are still a significant step up from Norwich City. So we will leave it there. Thank you very much uh, for listening. If you've got this far into the podcast, then thank you very much. You are uh, among the bravest of the brave Norwich City fans to sit through 45 minutes of analysis of the current situation. Uh, But we will keep it coming because we know how important it is to you all. And we'll keep the podcast as as regular as possible. We'll be sort of back into a a regular routine after the Leicester game um, within reason as well. And then we've got this FA Cup trip to Charlton, which almost feels a bit um, unwanted, incongruous to the whole situation, really. But um, we will uh, proceed. Connor, Paddy, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you very much for listening. If you're not already uh, subscribed to our new Pick and Plus subscription service, then do give that a look. You can find out full details at pinkin.com or under on all our various social media feeds as well. But for now, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next